Hey, hey, welcome to this week's bonus episode. So, Jeannie, I wanted to ask you, do you remember how last week we talked with Leslie Feinzag and she talked with us about allyship? Yeah, yeah. And how she measures how effective she is? Totally, yeah. So she's figured out all this different data to collect so she has a better understanding of her impact. Mm -hmm. And there is another way to do this, too. It's not exactly data-driven, but it's still good info. Go back and ask the people you're helping whether what you did actually helped them. You know, even if it didn't exactly work, but they feel helped, then I feel like pretty good about the fact that people come back to me. This is Phyllis Fletcher. She's a podcast editor at American Public Media. Yes. And every single time I think of what an ally at work should be like, Mm -hmm. I think of Phyllis. Oh. I really do. I can't really count the number of times Phyllis has been an ally to me. Uh, she helped me understand parental leave here at KUOW, which mm-hmm. is a really complicated thing. Uh, she helped me build arguments to get raises. I-, I could just keep talking about how great I think she is. I just I can't say enough good things about her allyship. Mm-hmm. I really can't. So I, on the other hand, didn't really know Phyllis until I got to know you. Yeah. Um, but I have heard like the legend of the helper, champion, ally, advocate that is one Phyllis Fletcher. <laughs> Anytime like a KUOW employee and I have water cooler talk, the talk inevitably leads to injustice since, you know, this is what our show is about and people love to share theirs. Wait, do you feel like that's the only thing people talk to you about here? <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of everywhere. I'm a black woman. That and astrology, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a proud Scorpio. Wow. Mm-hmm. But I will say that every time we have one of these talks, it usually leads back to Phyllis Fletcher. Wait, an astrology talk? Mm, that probably would, too. But mainly ones about people having injustice in the workplace. Yeah. It just pops up where they say, oh, have you met Phyllis? Oh, have you heard of the Fletcher? You know, <laughs> she helped me with this. She guided me here. And so we're going to get more wisdom and tactics from Phyllis coming up. But first... This is BTSW. Battle tactics for your sexist workplace. Pew, pew, pew. I'm Eula Scott Bynum. And I'm Jeannie Yandel. It would be fair to assume at this point that we are only talking with Phyllis Fletcher because we wanted to kind of fangirl out on her a little bit in person. <laughs> right. I mean, part partly, yes. Partly that's true. But there's more. There's mm-hmm. definitely more. So we also really wanted to do more than one episode on what it looks like when women hold each other up at work. Yes. You know, help each other out and advocate for each other. Yeah. And one of the reasons why is because we get a lot of questions about this. Questions like, I want to be a good ally, but I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. I don't actually know what to do. So we thought we would get some ideas and some strategies from Phyllis. And one strategy Phyllis has is to ask for feedback. There's there's a whole theory in um, in journalism. This guy, Bill Marimo, taught me this, this list he has called The Seven Components of Mastering a Beat. And one of those is to audit every story. And that means you go back to your sources and say, hey, so as you know, this story aired this morning. I want to know what you think. And not all the feedback is going to be great. Mm-hmm. But he said that that is the fastest way to grow as a reporter. And it's really hard. And it's it's a way that you learn fast and you learn like the results of your actions, whether they benefited that person or not. Mm. Wow, the idea of doing an audit, that's really yeah. powerful. Yeah, it is. It's scary, too. You hear that word because it's associated with fear in our culture, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. You know, it's like, damn. Yes. But, you know, it was it was a really strong concept. Mm. You also, I mean, you've talked about asking permission. Yeah. 
from yeah. people that you want to you want to be able to help, support, ally. I mean, what do you mean by that? Asking yeah, so many times, man, because what I think might help maybe would make that person feel crappy if they found out about it afterwards or feel put on the spot. You know, if I observe something that to me looks like sexual harassment, something I've done is take the target of the harassment aside and say, hey, you know, I want to let you know that I saw this. I didn't like it. Here are some things I could do or say. Um, Here are some ways I could or could not shield your identity. I want to do what would feel like support to you. Like I've had that exact conversation um, more than once. And people take me up on some version of it. You know, it's like they want the advocacy, but sometimes it's like, I really want you to do what you could to obfuscate or if you could delay it so that it's not clear that it's about me. Mm. That's something I've done before. Mm, that's so um, yeah. You know, I've, I felt really good about that. How did you figure out to do that? Like to ask permission in that way? How did you figure that out? I might have been copying something that someone else offered for me because when I was new in a work environment, they observed or no, I I told her about something that didn't feel great. That was definitely harassment. And she was like, OK, <laughs> here are the options that I can think of that could be pursued. You yeah. could do this. I could do that. Blah, blah, blah. Or we could do nothing. The earlier ones are not without risk. This has never been addressed. So how would you like to handle it? I'll do whatever you want. And in that case, I said nothing. I was like, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nothing. How new you know? are you? Brand spanking new. <laughs> like mm-hmm. a couple months. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, I seriously might not have the career I have today if I had pursued it at that time because this long predated me too. Mm. So I I really might have been copying that person, you know, that that she asked me what I wanted. Wow. So... Yeah, that was really cool. So I was probably copying her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Too good. Yeah. Where do you think, I mean, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot is what people think allyship is supposed to look like versus how it actually plays out. I mean, where do you think Where do you think people mess up when they imagine what they should be doing as allies? Right. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, oh, this is I'm funny. glad that made you laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's funny because... Um, I think that so I got to take this um, this class called uh, supervising a diverse workplace. Mm. And the first thing the teacher did was show the 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 pilot of the American TV series, The Office, which is <laughs> Diversity Day. Oh, my God. And he showed that so without comment and then was like, so we're not going to be doing that here. But what you see <laughs> is they famed Michael Scott, their manager, like just introducing blunder after blunder into the whole situation and the 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 whole thing that makes it hysterical is that he's trying he's trying the most to shine his own apple you know what i'm saying like that i think is the like fatal flaw in any allyship is you're trying to be all sprung on yourself and be like well i'm not racist clearly see everybody you're that's what you're trying to show if you're doing it wrong Mm -hmm. you know like you're not actually trying to remedy anything so i think that's probably the biggest mistake is is when people are trying to you know trying to come out of it smelling like a rose and that that's the most important thing to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah, that whole episode is right, is, is him saying, they're saying you need to have diversity and understand it, and he's saying, I'm already there. Yes. Right, yeah. Like, I already know it all. I'm, I'm king yeah. ally in charge. 
And then he goes on to stereotype everybody in the room. <laughs> it's so crazy. Like, please insert in here, like, the worst scene from that. Like, yeah. Please put that right here. <laughs> Stir the pot. Stir the melting pot. Bam. Let's do it. Let's get ugly. Let's get real. Okay. If I have to do this, based on stereotypes that are totally untrue, that I do not agree with, you would maybe not be a very good driver. Oh man, am I a woman? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so funny. I wish the thing is, I wish I could show the image of um, what is her name? The white woman, small petite white woman. Oh, she's oh, wearing, Angela. Angela's wearing just Jamaican on her forehead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had a moment where like flashing before my eyes like we have just I mean we have at least a dozen emails from people who are like my boss thinks he is super woke yeah and is very angry that you that I tried a tactic that you recommended in terms of like how he interrupts people or how he treats people of color or whatever and it's like that's Michael Scott. And yeah. I never made that connection until right now. Totally. Oh, my God. Or is Michael Scott every manager? Oh. Right. Yeah. Based on your own work experience, do you feel like all women have each other's backs? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> is that a trick question? Come on now. <laughs> it could have been true. But, I mean, so so I read, like, two books in the 90s that really helped me that are, like, not feminist probably in any way or at least one of them is like probably inherently anti-feminist mm. um and the other one is very very broad and probably not done the best way but i'll put them out there anyway mm-hmm. so it's two books i read in the <laughs> 90s that helped me with a lot of things are the rules which is a dating book oh my god i remember that book yeah you don't call him back for three days yeah all of that stuff yeah yeah and it's i mean the way it's written it is Whack. Like, I cannot in good conscience endorse it fully, yeah. but it did help me. And uh, The Art of Happiness. Part of what it helped me separate out is like when other people are doing things that I experience as harmful, they're not doing them to me. They are doing them as a result of things that happened before I was in their realm. Right. And, you know, kind of a shortcutting of that is, um, you know, that it's it has to do with how they've been socialized mm-hmm. and it has to do with, you know, things that they're trying to protect either emotionally of themselves or like if they're trying to protect like a situation that they have, um, you know, all of those things are things that they're trying to protect to separate from their their own pain you know i can totally see that right so women against women yeah yeah and it's i'm glad that i read that before i embarked on this period of my career i was in software when i read it mm-hmm. and it was mostly helping me with things in my personal life i think but i felt really good about the fact that i could come into a new realm and like observe those things happening and not feel like you know, like she's attacking me or whatever, you know, because it's like, no, she I mean, I might I might be experiencing that and that might be a very, very real thing. But that's not like why she's doing it. Right. You know what I mean? And that I feel like helped me have empathy for people who were doing things that that in some cases did harm me mm-hmm. and helped me like come back from that and make me realize that it really had nothing to do with me. Yeah. I just, as you were talking about that, I remember, I remember an email you sent. <laughs> I apologized for doing something, oh. like a deadline related thing or something. Oh. And you wrote back, you didn't do it to me. Oh I wow! Was like, That's 
And I actually ended up, that really stuck with me. And that helped me kind of think about, like, is somebody doing something to me? Right. Or is it just affecting me? Those are two different things. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And, like, and all of that also, you know, having said all of that, like, definitely people should pursue remedies, you know, when, when those are available to them. Um, you know, when they have been harmed or when potential harm has come to them in a way that's like, you know, against policy and all those kinds of things. Like, I fully, fully support that, you know, but there's so much that falls outside of that where you kind of have to make your own peace with it. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's it's just, you know, it's just part of all the different things that happen in the social environment of a workplace. Okay. Do you know this term positive neutralism? Have you ever heard this? No. Okay. So positive neutralism is... Um, like traditionally it was sort of like a colonialist way of being like you know England would show up and be positive new try to be positive neutral in uh-huh. like a country that they were trying to sort of control which is like we're not going to get involved in any local skirmishes right you know mm-hmm. but I mean come on mm-hmm. their presence like changes things mm-hmm. so anyway like in a personal interaction way positive neutralism is like I'm not going to take sides Right. I'm not going to get involved in controversy. Yeah. Uh, whenever there's criticism, I'm going to give positive feedback. Okay. Right? Yeah. So do you think you can be, like, positive neutral in work and be an ally? I mean, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. it doesn't sound like it. For real. <laughs> yeah. And I can see why that is a very tempting idea. Um, but I think that especially the more power you accrue, the less that you should be handling things that way. You know, like when you have zero power, like if you if you are really like brand spanking new and and you don't feel your personal power or your your power, like you want to um, devote all of it you can to advance yourself. There might be times when you'd be like, you know what? I'm not going to say anything about that right now, but I'm going to remember that that happened. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can accumulate knowledge like that can be a phase of like your career building. But um, the more that you have influence and power, you have to use it to set people straight. It will help you later. It will help you later to do that. And it will look different for different people, I think. But um I think especially now and especially people listening to this understand that like, you know, the the more you try to go neutral, you're you're like supporting status quo things that aren't OK, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, there will be different ways that you can figure out how to address that. But um, but you you have to. I think it's a survival thing. You have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the thing about being positive neutral is that uh, whatever harm has been done is never uh, fixed and more right. more harm is like on its way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. England did not do well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And it's I mean, I think it's great to use historical examples, too, because it, it puts you in that like right or wrong side of history mm. mind frame, you know, like I will always believe that the person who um who gave me options about what to do when I was sexually harassed was on the right side of history about that. She didn't tell me to shut up. She gave me options, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was really cool. She was on the right side of history. Awesome. Yeah. And that wasn't positive neutral. Like positive neutral would have been like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And then that would have been the end of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Totally. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is HR. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> That's what you mean by positive neutral. HR. Those are the, what the Switzerland. Th- <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I like the. I just like the term because I like. I started thinking about who do I know who's positive neutral, and yeah. I could. Th- it was like that was the first time I had language for like. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. So you just said that when you yourself kind of amass more power and confidence in your career, you've got to use it to help other people. How did you figure that out? Like, was there a time when you didn't want to do that or you had to question whether it was the right thing to do? Well, you know, um, I remember uh, figuring out at a past workplace that there was a system to getting raises and that involved filling out paperwork, which I love. (laughs) <laughs> Paperwork is your friend, by the way. If 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 you are if you are averse to workplace con- uh, confrontation, mm. or you feel like you bring your baggage with you when you are making proposals around how much you're going to be paid, okay? Because mm. <laughs> let me tell you, they're bringing theirs. Yeah. <laughs> so so when you like want to have like like a baggage limited, um, you know, interaction around your pay. Paperwork is your friend because you're doing it the way you're supposed to do it. There is a process and you, you know, you fill it all out and you propose it. That is your written proposal about why you deserve to be paid what you're proposing. Yeah. So I figured out what the paperwork process was and I filled it all out and it was effective. I got the raise I had proposed. And something that made me feel really good, but also kind of scared, was that the the person who was in charge of like the mechanics of of pushing those things through said, you know, no one else here has ever done this. You knocked it out of the park the first time. Mm. I would love to show the next person how to do this. And I would love to use your paperwork as an example. Can I do that? And. I actually did say yes, but what I was afraid of was the person looking at the paperwork and thinking that I was all sprung on myself. Mm-hmm. And so I, I said yes, but with a huge caveat of, can you please tell her <laughs> that, you know, she's going to see a bunch of things that look like me bragging about myself, but it was for a specific purpose to advocate for my raise and that I want her to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember feeling so crunchy about that, like, oh, God, like, you know, they're going to think I'm high on my own supply, you know, like, please tell her I'm not, you know. Yeah. Um, Or like what I like to explain in person is like, okay, maybe I am kind of high on my own supply, but you should be also. Yeah. You know, and I feel like that's an in-person conversation. So. um, So, yeah, I kept giving that caveat when she would ask, oh, can I show it to this person, that person? And for a long time, I said, please. They're going to see me bragging about myself, but that it's it's in the context of advocating for myself for a raise, which I want them to also do. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, it's the ideal time to brag for myself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it, it is so hard for us to brag on each for ourselves. Yeah. So often we need an yeah. ally to do it for us. Yeah. I think, I think about that Beyonce line where she's like, my my daddy make me feel, my mom make me feel, my sister make me feel. My you know none of that is her, right? She doesn't right. make herself feel any kind of way. Yeah. The input, the impact of her of everybody around her telling her who she is allows her to have the confidence to walk into those spaces. Oh, but yeah. if, if she would have said those same lines of like, I make myself feel fine, I make myself right. look good, I make myself feel great, I make myself smart, we would all have a different opinion of it, right? Right. Wow. Yeah. 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 And I I still find myself having that kind of conversation with people on like micro and macro levels. Like even it wasn't that long ago. I feel like I've come a long way since that particular 
one where I was first asked to share my paperwork. But um, even just like a month ago, someone was asking to see my cover letters. And I said, oh, sure. And I gave them to him. And I said, you know, by the way, <laughs> I did say it again. I was like, it's going to seem like I'm kind of sparring myself. But, you know, that's what you got to do. You got to distinguish yourself in a cover letter and you got to be entertaining and da, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, I got you. I got you. You know, so, and he wanted to see it. But, yeah, it's still enough of a thing for me that I'm like, I want you to know, I want you to have the context, which is silly. And and what (laughs) What? did you learn from all that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like what I learned is that it's still really hard for people, but they're not going to interpret what I did as whack, but it's still hard for them to brag about themselves. And sometimes that's even how they'll put it. They'll be like, well, I don't want to like brag about myself. And I'm like, but it's your LinkedIn. You have to. (laughs) Come on, man. You know? And like, I'll, I'll, I'll be walking people through. Well, like, what did you, you know, like, what exactly did you do? And what's an example of how things changed from when you started to when you ended? And okay, well, yeah, put that down. You know, like, it's kind of an extension of being an editor sometimes in a way yeah. of just like having people write down their own stuff of how awesome they've done things over the years, you know? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, but it's, it's still hard for people. Um, what advice do you have for um, other women who want to support other women in the workplace but just don't know how and don't know where to start? Yeah, well, one of my favorites that I even did just last week was someone um, came up with a with an idea that I thought was pretty awesome. And I told her on the spot, like, look, I'm going to be talking to that person soon or I just talked to her or something so I have an excuse to follow up. I'm going to mention your idea. I'm going to attribute it to you. And I'm going to say that I think it's a good idea because da-da-da-da-da. And I did that. And then I went back to the first person and said, I want you to know I told her your idea and I told her why I thought it was really good. And she seemed to think it was cool, too. But like it's down on wax. Like it is a Slack message that exists that you had this idea and that it was really good. And I I like that because, um, again, I'm not coming in like especially as a new person on my job, like um uh, it, that's where like horn tooting can get a little sensitive sometimes if you're a new person and you're like, I have all the great new ideas. You're Molly on Insecure. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, just walked in day one and was trying to become partner. It was like, you did that, girl. <laughs> but like if I'm saying, oh, this other person who's, you know, predates me, has this really great idea. I, I noticed it and I'm passing it along to you. Like, A, I'm properly attributing credit and be like I still am looking smart by association because I am recognizing a good idea so Mm -hmm. so and that's also I feel like another benefit of that is that person then knows that if they ever come up with a good idea I am going to share it you know with the attribution to them like they know that that's something I do Mm -hmm. so I think that that can be a really effective way especially when people are introverted, you know, like I mentioned before, like sometimes people don't always feel great, like raising their hand with their awesome ideas. But she had an awesome idea. So I passed it along mm-hmm. and I hope that we use it. <laughs> That's a really good, like, clear way. Like that is a clear action. Yeah. That you could sort of undertake. Yeah. Um, We get a lot of emails and like notes from people saying like this thing happened. Somebody said something that was gross or inappropriate and I didn't say anything. Yeah. What should I say in the moment next time? How do I how do I how do I respond next time? Yeah. It feels kind of like from the emails that we get that everybody thinks they have to have the perfect thing to say (laughs) in the moment when somebody says or does something inappropriate. Right. 
how do you you're I'm glad that's yeah, like okay so well, how do you think through that like I mean, what yeah because so when I was in <laughs> you might know this about me Jeannie when I was in like fourth grade one of my hobbies that I wrote down in my diary was capping on people <laughs> <laughs> I loved that and I actually I had a oh book of caps that I read <laughs> for, the, for those who don't know capping is, is yeah. like uh, ranking on someone yeah, totally. putting, putting someone down yes. yeah um, yeah shoot, cutting somebody down shooting, yeah shooting shots yeah uh, yes. uh, firing off at them yeah. yes mm-hmm. totally. yes mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that I was so obsessed with that because it's such a like, it's another fantasy idea, right? That you'll always have the perfect thing to say. They'll be like, bam! Oh! <laughs> like, that's why those moments are so legendary, right? Yeah. Because like, you know, it's like, it's a it's a thing that's so rare. Yeah. And um, a couple things about that. One, like, it's okay if you are not the pro at that because that is a very like you almost have to be a stand up comedian to like be that quick right yeah you do and you don't always want to be uh that guy or uh that person because it's not always going to be effective depending on the power dynamic of the room and um depending on retaliation or whatever like it it could actually bring harm to the person that you think you're trying to defend mm-hmm. um so it is okay to not have the perfect thing i think it always sticks in people's mind like oh if only i had said that one thing um mm-hmm. but like i feel it's like it's okay for that to be elusive it's okay because once you've said the thing like a it might not come out so perfect as you think and b like you can't unsay it you yeah. can't unring the bell so free yourself of the obligation to respond in the moment with the exact perfect thing that is very 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 hard one of the things that i have i have seen from observing you is that like it's not like the work is not always seen or recognized or right. it doesn't happen in front of other people yeah you that's know? very true i mean so i don't know that feels like th- those are two things that are hard that may be hard for some people to grapple with is one, you're not going to get like a medal for doing this because people may not see it, Yeah, you know? And then two is like, it's, you know, it could, it it might be risky to you. Like you are sort of putting your power on the line a little bit sometimes. So, I mean, how do you, how do you think through all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, so you talk about tactics, right? It's the, it's the strategy behind the tactic you know and a lot of times you know like you'll be like okay if I say this to this person then this is going to happen this that does that blah 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 and when you can see like you know I will either I'll I'll still have my job at the end of it or if I don't care (laughs) as much about (laughs) having my job like I will walk out of it having been having actualized my beliefs you know then then it's okay, you know, and it's not, and you've checked in with the other person, it's not going to harm them, you know, it's okay. And I'm not some, like, master chess player or anything, you know, (laughs) but, like, you're just thinking through, like, okay, well, then this will probably happen, then that, the worst thing that'll happen is probably this or that, and it'll probably be okay, I'm going to say something, you know, and, like, I'm going to say it today, or I'm going to say it tomorrow, or I'm going to, whatever it is, you know, just kind of thinking it through. Yeah. Is there a starter pack for being, like, a good ally for women? Hmm. Well, obviously, this podcast, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank and you. yeah, for sure. <laughs> and um, I think that, um, I mean, it, this is a thing that I always think about of just like, you know, starting out by doing your own reading, you know? Yeah. And so like, you know, finding voices on Twitter and people who are writing about this stuff, even if it's even if it's just just 
air quotes, tweets, or if it's longer articles or whatever, to to really like, um, you know, learn from multiple voices what that could look like. And, you know, start talking about it with people you feel comfortable, you know, talking about these things with at work or in your personal life or wherever it is, you know, so to like read, find your people. And then like, I think then each decision from there doesn't have to feel like as big of a thing as it would if you felt like you were isolated, starting on your own, you know, from from nothing, you know, and, and to also be super aware of how you've been socialized and what's been great about that and what hasn't because how you've been socialized also contributes to the sociology of your workplace which then contributes to the product that you produce Mm. um so when you talk about socialization in the workplace what do you mean by that what kinds of things are people bringing in that they've been socialized to do or think that have an impact on a workplace where we're talking about allyship, like we need allyship. Yeah, for sure. Well, so all of us have been socialized from pre-birth based on attributes that our parents and all of society have have projected onto us. So that can have to do with our race, that can have to do with our gender, all kinds of things. And we continue to be socialized that way all up until the moment that we bump into each other at work. And that that process, like to take one example um, about like pay advocacy, like even the way that we talk about pay in the workplace is very loaded and gendered as far as what it looks like to advocate for your own pay. A lot of times people talk about asking for a raise, but in your life, in most of your social socialization, Who's the biggest person that you ask for anything or for for money or permission? Your parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your parents are the ones who socialize you around money also. Uh, there's a lot of secrecy around it. There's a lot of shutting things down um, when the more that specific question a kid would ask. Oh, we don't talk about that. You know, it's not nice to talk about it. It's and, rude to ask. Right. I, I asked my right. mom one time and she made and she told me it was rude to ask. Right. Right. It's rude to ask. Don't ask. And then especially if you're asking for something for yourself, I already gave it to you. No. You know, um, which could be completely appropriate in that parental relationship. But part of capitalism socializes you to be uneducated about money. You are not educated about money and how to advocate for yourself in a public school system. Um, That's it's not an accident. Right. And so by the time you're getting into a workplace, you've been socialized at home with secrecy around money. Um, You have been uh, possibly socialized in your teen years regarding like whether or not you should even get a job. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've been socialized at and what type of job that should be. You've been socialized at school through negligence, not being educated about money. Then all of a sudden you're supposed to fucking nail it in your first negotiation (laughs) with your first job out of college. (laughs) Give me a break. You've been socialized to fail at that. Right. So I'm doing so good at what society planned for me. (laughs) (laughs) So then when it comes to like, oh, no, like the scales fall from your eyes and you realize that you're being underpaid. What I want you to know at that moment is that it is not your fault. You have been socialized to this moment 
to be underpaid. And your the people holding the purse strings statistically are most likely men, and they have been socialized to say no to you. Mm. Right? Blow my mind. Yeah. So they have been... Uh, so then by the... T- that's what I was talking about... Um, or that's what I talk about when I'm talking about people coming into a negotiation room with their baggage uh, and how that conversation goes. Yep. It is patriarchal baggage, literally. And so the best thing you can do to prepare yourself for that is to be aware of how you've been socialized and to make educated guesses about how your opponent has been socialized and to do everything you can to undermine that in the negotiation. And that starts with not asking for a raise. You're not asking for anything. You are making a proposal based on your contribution to your organization's bottom line, period. You're not asking for nothing. Wow. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) So (laughs) as far as how that appears in allyship, it can be, um, it can be just introducing that concept in a way that is accessible to that person and empowers that person and doesn't make them feel like a dum-dum or that like somehow Phyllis Fletcher has figured it all out and I haven't like, <laughs> cause it's, it's stuff that I think everybody knows on like a deep, deep level, but what they struggle with is just being told no and feeling powerless mm. and then not knowing what to do with that. And that's why you hear so many stories about women walking out of negotiations with tears yep. mm. because Something about entering into that took them back to that very young place where they were being told no by their parents Mm. because they opened the negotiation with an ask or they were treated like it was an ask, even if they were trying not to. And we got to just throw all that baggage out the window, (laughs) out out of there. All of it's getting tossed. And it's hard and it requires like discipline and focus. And I think one thing that can really help is doing as much of it on paper as possible. Phyllis Fletcher, podcast editor at American Public Media, also known as APM, longtime advocate for women and all humans in the workplace. Thank you again so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. You can't help but walk away from that ready to go. You're going to advocate for everybody in here and for yourself, too. Yay. All right. I'm going to get a bunch of feedback. I'm going to ask them how I can be the best ally for them. And then I'm going to advocate for myself. I know. I did not expect to come away here feeling ready to go into like a salary negotiation. For real. <laughs> but I feel really ready now. I can totally do this and I can get somebody else ready, too. Yep. And as always, you guys, if you try any of this stuff, please get in touch with us and tell us how it went. We're at BTSW at KOW.org. And we'd love to hear from you. For sure. BTSW is a production of KUW in Seattle. Our senior producer is Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Our managing producer is Brendan Sweeney. Special thanks to Michaela Kiner and Ruchika Tulshian, who have been advising us all this season. This podcast was inspired by the book, Feminist Fight Club, written by Jessica Bennett. Our theme music was composed by Cassia Gordon. Our graphics designer is Tio Popescu. I'm Jeannie Yandel. I'm Eula Scott Bino. Keep up the good fight. We'll talk to y'all soon. <laughs> <laughs>